So if this is uh, your first time here, I apologize ahead of time, only in that we are in the middle of a series on the book of James, and we're starting today, chapter 4, um, verses 1 through 10. So if you need a Bible, raise your hand. Um, the guys will come around. Just keep your hand up nice and high, and we will get that out to you. we got a couple of people right here. Perfect. Um, and you're going to turn to chapter 4, and we're going to be looking at verses 1 through 10. Um, the reason why I apologize is because for those of us that have been kind of rolling through James, we kind of get the fact that James is a pretty straight shooter. He doesn't sugarcoat anything, and he's like, kind of gets into our business really fast. Today is no different. If you have walked in today, um, you probably um, did not walk in just uh, ready to like change your life, and you didn't necessarily walk in knowing what I was going to talk about. You didn't walk in saying, you know what, I know, it's, uh, it's James chapter 4. That's what we're going to talk about. And so I'm just going to challenge you just for a second, and I'm going to pray as well, but um, just for a second to say, you know, today is about self-examination a little bit. James speaks to a group of people that are believers, but they don't have everything perfectly correct in their heads. They, they have an idea of what they should profess out loud, but they're not living it the way that they should be and the way that James outlines for us and really the way that Jesus taught. So, um, so let's just cut to the chase and let me ask you a question as we dive in. Have you guys, when you were growing up, did you ever have a toy that you really, really wanted? Yeah, like you really, really, really wanted a toy that was like amazing. And so what you did is like you just pestered your parents to go get it, right? You'd see the commercial, you'd want it, you'd tell them like, can I get it? And then you'd be like, they'd say no, too expensive or whatever. And then you'd say like, but can I get it though? And then can I get it? 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 And then you just keep, does any, was anybody that kid? That might've been me. That might've been me. Um, but I don't know what you really wanted when you were a kid, but I'm going to show you how old I am. This is something that I really, really wanted. This is this little video, like not even a video game, but it's like, it's literally like this handheld football game that basically, if you know what a pixel is, there's like pixels that you move around that is supposed to be the guy with the football, but the only reason it's a football is because there's a football field printed over the top of these pixels. It doesn't make any sense. But I really wanted this, right? So, so, so bad. And so maybe I saved a little bit of money. Like, maybe. I remember, like, when I was at the, like, the pinnacle of, like, my savings as, like, a seventh grader, I had $8. And I was like, <laughs> dude, I am going to the arcade for days with that. It's going to be awesome. But so I, I wanted this really, really bad. And I remember uh, Lincoln Mall, those of you that are local, Matson, um, you know, rest in peace, Lincoln Mall. Um, but back in the day, that was the place to be. And I remember going to the mall and seeing this thing and wanting it so, so bad. And I would just, I made, I was horrible, like horrible. And oh, I, I made my parents' lives so brutal. So I just pestered and pestered them. And then we left the mall. They like, they held to their guns. They're not going to get it for me. I'm like, man, this is the worst. So like, you know, like you do, I threw down a little tantrum, you know, because I was that kid. And then they turned around, parenting fail 101, right? They turned around and they, we ended up getting it. Now I got this football game and it was amazing for about a day or two. And about two weeks later, I don't even know where it is. It's gone. Like I just kind of got over it. 
I mean, probably because it really wasn't like football, number one, and two, what, you get to a point where you can't beat the computer at this point, and it's kind of lame. Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there where you've wanted something so bad, and then you battle through getting it, and then you get it, and it's not all it's cracked up to be? And that can happen, too, in our relationships or the things that we want that we see that other people have. And we're like, man, I, if I could just get this, I would be happy. If I could just get that, if I could just be like them, I would be better. I would be happy. And the reality is, is that most times when you talk to someone that's wise and they're, they're older than you, they will tell you 99 times out of 100, when you get the thing you really, really want, it isn't all that it's cracked up to be. But in that zone of wanting something so, so bad, it's, it's typically a commercial that you see, and you see a kid, like back in the day, you'll see a kid with that toy having a blast, right? Playing with his G.I. Joe guys in like this sweet, like awesome, like, you know, landscape-y thing. But then you get it home, and you're just like on the coffee table. This is like lame. Like, what's going on? But you see that, and you want that. You have this, this selfishness that you say, I want what that kid has. And, and it becomes a, a little bit of coveting, a little bit of envy, a little bit of ambition and selfish ambition. And, and really, that battle within us, when taken to the full extent, becomes really ugly. And, and James, in chapter 4, he gets at this by kind of digging into us a little bit and saying, you know why you are, um, why you're battling and, and quarreling and fighting and why do people kill each other and why, like, yeah, kill each other? Why do these things happen? It's because at the essence, it's the same exact desire that I had for that football game, but taken to a very, very bad level. So um, because you didn't walk in, and none of us are probably ready ever for the word of God to hit us just right square. What we need to do is to pray and just ask the Holy Spirit to open us up to his word. So let's do that. Heavenly Father, Lord, we're about to open your word. And Lord, we do. We, we are entering into a battle zone. And God, some of us today have chosen to, to ignore the battle that's happening within us. And Lord, some of us don't even believe in you. Some of us uh, feel very distant from you. Lord God, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit would be here. Lord, it is here. It's moving. It's working. It's working on me. It's working on all of my friends that are here. And so, God, we open up ourselves to you. For those of us, Lord God, that feel very distant, Lord, we pray, God, that your presence would be here. Help us, God, to lay aside every struggle and every issue, every temptation, every trial that we have in the next few moments so that we can clearly see ourselves in the light of truth that comes from your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. James 4 verse 1 says this, What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. And when you ask God, you do not receive. Why? Because you ask with the wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. 
So here he goes right in at the top of chapter four, and he says, you know what? The reason why you battle each other, the reason why wars are fought, the reason why people die and people are hurt, relationships are broken, is something that he's mentioned in other chapters and other verses of, of his book, which is this idea of envy, selfish ambition being the, the core cause of all this stuff. And, and we know by looking back at chapter 3 last week and understanding that, that this, this, is a, this, is a, this envy and selfish ambition, this is the ultimate bad place that it takes us. It's to the point of ending someone else's life. Where someone wants something so bad that that happens. And then not only do we see that kind of like expressed in our world around us that we cringe at even turning on the news anymore, but we also see it in how we pray. The seed of that is, is there when we're praying, where we're actually praying with a selfish perspective. And, and we're asking for things, and in the back of our mind, we're saying, so that I can have this, so that I can spend it on myself. It's a prideful prayer, right? And, and James is saying, God doesn't doesn't grant that, that prayer. He doesn't, he doesn't give any, he doesn't, you don't receive because you're asking with the wrong motive. Now today, I'm going to give you five questions, more than that, but five main questions for you to wrestle with this week. And if you choose to wrestle, you're going to grow. You're going to grow in your faith, but it's up to you. So the first question that I would throw down is this, what are my motives when I pray? What are my motives when I pray. You see, doing the right thing, praying, but doing it in the wrong way is not what a mature believer will do. God is not going to grant that prayer and say, oh, you know what, I'm going to answer that. He'll answer it with a no, because you're asking with the wrong motive. Another way to say it is it's not always what you say in prayer, but it's how you say it. So when you say, God, I, would, I want to be blessed to be a blessing, is that truly your motive? Is that truly what you want? And, and how do you ask with a more humble perspective? Well, James keeps going in verse 4, and he throws this down. He says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. So stop right there. Verse 4, packed with stuff, right? And he throws down this idea of, he, he's calling all of these believers in Jerusalem, he's saying, you're adulterers. Like, he's, he's calling out them in a big, big way. And he's not necessarily calling them out physically, but spiritually. You see, in Scripture, and many of you know this, that marriage and wedding and bridegroom language is used to describe God's perfect relationship that he desires with his people. This faithful relationship, this faithful attitude and relationship that he has with his people, this is what's used to describe God's relationship that he desires with his people. But James is saying that isn't reciprocated. What James is saying is that you guys have been unfaithful to God in the way that you're praying, in the way that you're, you're wanting things, the way that you are approaching the world. And he literally says um, 
that you're going to be an enemy of God if you choose to be a friend of the world. This is intense. It's not just like, everybody hold your hands out like this. Let's just get it right. So it's not that you're just empty-handed when you pray to God, like, God, this is what I really need. And you're like, ah, oh, I got nothing, right? Okay, put your hands down now. When you, that was great. Like, you guys got the blood pumping. You guys are awake now. Good. So like, you, you, it's not just that you're empty-handed. It's that you're an enemy of God. Man, like, I would rather be empty-handed maybe than an enemy of God. But here's what he's saying. He's saying you're praying with the wrong motives. You're selfish and you're, you're envious and you bring that attitude to prayer so that what? So you can spend it on yourself, you adulterer. You claim to follow God, but you have selfish ambition that's driving you. You have two things battling it out inside you. This desire to be like the world and have what it promises and to be like God and to have what he promises. And your flesh will never, ever want to go after God by itself. Jesus said it in Matthew 6. This series is called Brother. I love connecting James and Jesus together to help us understand how James echoes him. And in Matthew 6, 24, Jesus said this, No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And we'll talk a little bit about serving two masters, but he's saying the same exact thing that James is echoing, is that to be an enemy with God is a friend of the world. A friend of the world is an enemy of God. It is not possible to serve both. And why is friendship with the world the kind of like at the root of fighting? Like, think about that with our world the way it is. Well, our world is a very violent place. If you haven't seen, like if there's country versus country, let's start there. It's like we start pointing guns at each other and we say, this is our boundary. No, this is our boundary. This is what we do. This is why we have the army. This is why we have the military. This is what we do. We, we kind of posture ourselves. This is why we have bombs and fighter jets and bombers. And this is all because there is this essence of no one's going to take my stuff. And maybe, just one, maybe, I might want to take something from you. The essence of fighting is, is really, in our world, is, is this idea of selfishness. And so the world is going to basically say, you know what, I'm going to come at you with violence. I might bring a gun, I might bring my boot, I might bring a bomb, but it is all about taking things that you want. And society might seem open and generous, but if you have been around the world long enough, you know that the world does a really good job of kind of like putting a window dressing on stuff that is rough and is devastating to our lives. See, violence and the threat of more violence is really what our world promises us. Um, so the second question, based on this verse, would be this. Am I willing to break up with the world? Ooh, you know, just a little light question for you at 11.30 on a Sunday, right? Like, are you willing to break up with the world? A friend of, God, a friend of the world is an enemy of God. Only you can answer that question. James chapter 4, verse 5. Let's keep going. Or do you think Scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us, but he gives us more grace? That is why Scripture says God opposes the proud, 
those that envy, those that have selfish ambition, but shows favor to the humble, those that are servants, those that are, are low in stature. How, how, do, how do you settle the inner battle? Well, here James, and in other places in his letter, he actually highlights this idea of humility. And humility is something that the world lacks, right? I mean, would you, like, when you watch all the NFL, like, interviews after games and stuff, the one word that, word that would really describe all those players talking would be humility, right? You know? When I think of, like, you know, famous actors and actresses, I think of humility, right? Or, you know, political figures, humility, right? It's not something you see. Because it's a very vulnerable position to take. Um, Verse 5 is, can be, you know, seen as maybe a quote of Scripture, but verse 6 is very for certain a quote of Scripture, especially from 1 Peter verse five, um, chapter 5, verse 5. It says this, In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. All of you clothe yourselves in what? Humility toward one another. Because why? God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. I mean, this is the battle, right? I mean, on one hand, I want what the world is showing me. I want the things that the world is offering me. And yet, I really, and I think we all agree, I really want the favor of God. Anybody not want the favor of God? Like, even if you're like, let's just pretend like you don't believe that God exists. But if he did, like, wouldn't you want him to be, like, favoring you? Right? I would. Like, so we want the favor of God, but we want what the world has, too. And the battle continues. The battle continues. Um, Third question. Do I tend or do I come to God with pride or humility? Like you boil it down, boil down your prayer time. Like James isn't even like contending these believers, right? This This is a believer question. Like he's not even saying you're not praying. You're not praying enough. He's like, yeah, okay, you're praying, but you're praying with the wrong motive. Do you come with pride or humility when you come to God? Only you can answer that question. Let's keep going. Verse 7. He says this, submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. I mean, this guy needs like to chill right I mean he's calling us double-minded he's calling us you know sinners these people that he's writing to I mean they have to filter this right they have to say wow what is he getting after it's because this topic and this issue is so imperative to your faith and so it defines your growth pattern and whether or not your trajectory is going to be on a growth trajectory or you're going to be stalled out. Some of us are stalled out right now. Like you're stuck. You haven't grown in your faith. You've even felt like you've declined in your faith over the last few months. There's some of us in this room that are just like that. And why does he say double-minded? And then why does he talk about grieving and mourning and wailing? Like this is, this, doesn't God want us to be joyful? Doesn't he bring us hope? Well, the first thing I want to highlight is the fact that there's a double promise in this passage. Number one, the first part of the promise is that if you resist the devil, he will flee. That's the first promise. You resist, he gets out. Second thing is, is that if I draw near to God, 
What does he do? He comes near to me. So you've got to have that idea in your head. You've got a double promise in this passage. It's saying, resist the devil and he flees. Draw near to God and he comes near to you. And what does a friendship, a roadmap to friendship with God look like? It looks like this. It looks like saying, you know what? I'm going to resist. I'm going to draw near. I'm going to wash my hands and purify myself. This is a a kind of a nod to ceremonial cleansing that you're going to purify yourself and say, God, I want to leave the world behind and the desires of it. I don't want to be double-minded. I want to be single-minded and focused. We, uh, and then this whole idea of grieving and mourning, I, I, I put a little bit of a, a finer point on that. So Sarah and I flew in from, uh, flew, flew into Midway last night from Dallas, and, and as we were flying in, I mean, it was dark, but you could see clear, it was a clear night, so you could see lights everywhere. It was amazing. Like, just Chicago and all these lights, and every single one of those lights that were on a house represented a family. And I was praying about this and praying about this passage, and it's, it's, not, it's, it's, it's a challenging passage. And I said, okay, God, what is this about mourning and grieving and this idea of turning our joy into gloom? Like, whoa, this is not really what, this is not really what I want to teach today. Like, I, I want to be, a, and, and I started to see a little bit maybe of what Jesus saw when he looked at Jerusalem and he be, began to weep. Is I saw this city and all of these lights representing families that need Jesus, that need Christ, that, that need to know that there is hope for them, that there is a God, and not only is there a God, but there is a God that loves them and wants to draw near to them. They just need to draw near to him. And, and as I went over that, I started to understand it because here's the thing. I started to grieve a little bit because I thought there is so little chance for me to reach any of these people. And it kind of put it in perspective that, man, there are so many people that need Jesus, that need to know the gospel and the good news of Christ. And yet, here I am flying over it, and I can, there's just no way that I see, how, how could I ever reach all of them? But God, you could do it. And so we start to see a little bit of that maybe. Maybe that's helpful. But a roadmap to Friendship with God is list, that list there, and that list is a, is a bunch of commands, right? It's not like, hey, you know what, maybe what we should do is, yeah, think about this. No, he's saying, this is what you should do. Verse 7 is all about commitment, submitting and resisting. Verse 8 is all about cleansing and drawing near with cleansed hands and cleansed hearts. Verse 9 is about grieving and and really understanding the gravity of what he's talking about. And even there's times to say, man, God, thank you, Jesus, for being in my life. Because I can only imagine what my life would look like without you. So the the fifth question, or the fourth question, um, what if we focused on this list of challenges this week? What if you focused on resisting the devil this week? Like you got up and you just had that as a headline for your day. I'm resisting the devil. He's going to get out. Or maybe submitting to God or drawing near to God or cleansing and purifying your heart. Like doing this as a focus this week. Guys, this list right here is, is just, it's deepness for you for the rest of this week and then longer if you choose to go after it. Like this is an intense list. 
Let's go to verse 10. Because this is probably where he kind of sums it up and he says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Here's that word again. Humble, humility. This idea that if I humble myself, that God is going to lift me up. That there is this humility that the world lacks, that somehow I can make that a part of my life. You can read Philippians, you can see that Jesus Son of God humbled himself and became a man and died for us. Like, this is the humility that we're supposed to emulate. And we wonder, why is it that we struggle? Because we have that pride, that envy, that selfish ambition. And somehow, someway, it's always upside down and backwards, right? God's way is always upside down and backwards. So he's saying that if you choose to go low, that is how you're lifted up. So the fifth question is this. Do I really believe that the way up is down? Because it'll change you this week if you believe it that the way up is to be humble. That you're going to be lifted up. Maybe not tomorrow, maybe not next week or next month, but one day God will lift you up because of your humility. So what do we do with all this? What do we do? This is, this is the extent of our passage for the day. And I want to just highlight this thought because there's five questions I just gave you. Some of you wrote them down. Some of you memorized them because you're awesome. So there's five, right? Now, when you look at these, there, there's a lot that are, that are, that's really deep and you could dig into. But there's one question here that will determine, I think, it's the linchpin question out of all five. And that's question number two. Am I willing to break up with the world? And I think what you have to do to answer that question is you have to ask, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm not so sure I'm a friend of the world. Slow down. As Larry says, slow the bus, Gus. I don't know if I'm in agreement with that. So let's talk about what does it look like to be a friend with the world? Well, um, if you behave exactly like the world, you might be a friend. If the pattern of your life is exactly and it's indistinguishable from anyone in the world that doesn't believe in God, you might be a friend. If the narrative of your life matches the underlying narrative of the world, you might be a friend. You're experiencing some of the bankruptcy that the world offers at the end of the road. Maybe you're experiencing some of the, the lures of the world. But make no mistake that your narrative is very, very much in sync with the world. You might be a friend. Um, it kind of comes down to this idea that we, whatever we worship is going to define us. And whatever we serve, whatever master, as Jesus put it, whatever master we serve, is going to define us. So when you think about it this way, um, and, and I, I would challenge you, you know, there's going to be some people in the room, you're going to think about someone in your life or someone that you've known that this might be true of. I, I definitely have thoughts on this. So somebody that worships money, okay? So they will progressively, over time, as they worship money more and more and more, they will begin to look and treat people transactionally. What can I get from you? What is it worth to me? 
we start to treat people like a customer or a profit center or a revenue stream. And this is what happens when we worship money. Maybe somebody here worships money and you're all of a sudden like, whoa, I'm progressively getting to that place. Or maybe um, if you worship sex, what you do is you, you look at the people in your life over and over and you start to, to view them as sex objects instead of human beings. That's why we fight human trafficking. Or maybe you worship power. Maybe you, and, and over time, what you do is you begin to define yourself in the terms that power brings. And you treat people as either a collaborator to help you gain power, a competitor that's trying to take it, or just a pawn that you can use along the way. Or maybe a little closer to home for some of us, we just worship productivity. What'd you get done today? I got so much done today. And you know what? You start to look at your family, your friends, your coworkers as people that either help you get stuff done or distract you from your to-do list. Or maybe you worship family where you have such a tight reign on your family that you will not let anything from the outside world ever get into your house or your family. And the reality is, in all these things, what we do is we start to treat real, live human beings as if they're not human beings. And we do that out of selfish ambition and envy. And we do that because we have a battle in our heart. And some of us are ignoring it. We ignore the battle. It's not that big a deal. I mean, I could binge that Netflix show. Not that big a deal. Oh, sorry, I mentioned Netflix. But you've got, yeah, I mean, but yeah, it's close to home where you start to say, okay, is this what I saw and what I'm watching, is this something that I should be? Is it helping me become pure? Is it helping me submit to God? Is it helping me to draw near to him? Yeah, this is not, this is like, oh, this is awesome, right? This is not awesome. James is getting into your business and he's saying, what are you doing? There's a war inside your for your life. Jesus says that the, the enemy, he roams the earth and he looks to, to steal, kill, and destroy you. The world isn't about just taking your lunch money. It's about taking your lunch money, your lunch, and then standing over you, eating it while it kills you. This is the type of world that you live in. But man, it looks so good. It looks so great. And if you are a friend of the world, what ends up happening is that pretty much nobody's going to tell you anything's wrong until something's wrong. You're going to be able to kind of cruise and you're going to be like, under the radar, loving Jesus at second place, but man, just totally blending in when you leave here. And I'll tell you what, man, the normal that you will feel eventually will be so sour and so disgusting in your life that you will wish you never went down that road. Because normal, if you look at the statistics, is that most people are way, way overextended on debt. Over half the marriages that happen end up in divorce. That's normal. 
Normal is giving in to temptation. I mean, you should do what you want. I mean, if it doesn't hurt anybody else, why not? I mean, if it feels good, do it. Normal is family dysfunction, broken relationships. That's what normal is. And yet the world never sells that. It sells everything else that comes before that, but leads to that. So guys, we end up choosing which we're going to do. Jesus said it. You can't serve two masters. So there's a paraphrase from N.T. Wright that says this. Are you going to worship the world as it is by gaining your power and your pleasure from forces within the world and contributing to your own dehumanization and adding to the corruption of the world? Let me give you some background on this. You see, you were designed to reflect the image of God. You were designed and you are going to be the most alive when you are in sync with God. And you are designed to reflect the image of God. And when you reflect anything else, especially when you're just blending into the world and you're not reflecting God, you're reflecting power and money and sex and you're all, all these things that you have sold your soul to, those things now you have dehumanized yourself because being human means that you are a reflection of the one true God. That was what means to be truly human. And it takes guts to stand out and be different. It takes thought, intentional decisions, and determination. So what does it mean to be a friend of God? Well, that list comes back, right? That list comes back and it says, you know what? That list is what I need to be thinking about. I need to be praying about. I need to be hammering that this week. Another paraphrase from N.T. Wright this is a different question, and, and this is it. How can I contribute to the renewal of the world right now in preparation for the projects that God will launch in his new world? Let that sink in for a second. You see, everybody, we've got it wrong. We're waiting, we're thinking that, you know what, it's all about getting to heaven, and we're going to play harps all day. I don't like harps. I don't want to play a harp. Like, that's not my thing. I apologize, all the harpists in the room, okay? But that's not compelling. But tell me where that says that in Scripture. It doesn't. What it says is it's not about us getting there. It's about him coming here. And what's going to happen is he's going to renew everything. And when he renews everything, he's going to set up a kingdom. And you're going to have a brand new body that's going to look a little bit like you do now. Think about that. How do I know? Because he showed us how he's going to do it with Jesus. He said, you know what? Here, feel my hands, the nail, the nail holes, and, the, and my feet. They were still there. It's just that his body was made up of different stuff, stuff that doesn't die. Dude, I'm going to, sorry, everybody, I'm not going to be that much better looking than this at the, afterwards. <laughs> I, I'm coming back like this, like, you know what I'm saying? But it's okay. I mean, you guys look great. It's going to be awesome. But somehow we're going to know each other. And whatever you're working on now is not a waste of time. Your major isn't a waste of time. What you're doing right now is not a waste of time. Your God-given abilities and your God-given st strengths and skills, guess what? You are preparing for a job that you're going to have in his kingdom. And it's going to probably center around how he's wired you right now. And you're preparing for that. And you're all like, ah, I don't know what major I want to do. Guess what? You're, it's really important because you want to be going after what you're going to be doing maybe in some massive project on the other side of the universe. And I'm down for that. Now let's get that harp out of my head. I want to go do that kind of stuff, yeah. right? Like, he's going to launch some awesome new projects. I want to be a part of those. 
So as we think about this, guys, we have to get to the point where we say, am I an enemy of God? Am I a friend of the world? This right here, man, if you can get this in your heart, because it's so easy, man, it is so, the band can come up. This is so, so easy. It is so easy for us to ignore this battle. And I believe that as a church, as a community, like we're here right now for a reason. Like we are literally here in this section of scripture, in this series for a reason, because God wants us to get moving. Orthodoxy, orthopraxy. He wants us to believe, but he also wants us to do. And he wants us to move together. Now, how many of you guys would love it? You're like, you feel like this at the very end of this chapter, or the middle of this chapter, and you're like, man, I feel like I'm going to need a little help. Like, I can't do this on my, by myself. Like, I, I would love it if Jesus just could come down and pray for me. You know, anybody want a G- Jesus to pray for you? Like, let's go. Like, right? Wish granted, because he did in John 17. Right after he prayed for his disciples, he prayed for you. And in John 17, it says this. My prayer is not for just my disciples. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. Would that be you? That'd be you, right? That's you. So that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world, what the world, may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. That's Jesus literally praying for you. And what that means, man, is that you have help. You have a Jesus who's praying this prayer over this room right now, that the Holy Spirit has been sent, is here ready, and you have that power available to you. Maybe you just forgot. Maybe you've never tapped into it. The big idea, back up a few slides. The big idea is really this. Our friendship with God is, is determined by our perspective on the world. So, yes, there is a lot about the world that we need to be careful of. We need to understand and, and, and draw some clear boundaries around, right? But our perspective on the world is not to condemn it, but it's to love it and to bring the good news of Jesus to it. To look at a perspective on the world that says, "Is I look at that city and I say, God, let's go. Let's get that going. Let's reach those homes. Let's figure it out in our own area. In your, you're a doctor, you're a lawyer, you're a student, you're a store manager, you're a cashier, you can still bring heaven to earth wherever you're at because your perspective is different. You don't look at the world and say, I want that. You say, you look at the world and say, that needs Jesus. How much of the news do you need to watch before you realize that the world needs God in a big way? So what is your perspective on the world? Is your perspective on the world, hey, you know what, looks pretty nice. Some of you today are on the edge of stepping out and saying, I am done. I am done with the world. Am I I gonna be perfect? Absolutely not. But I am done befriending the world and entertaining the world. I'm going to start 
befriending Jesus now. Done. So let's stand. As we sing, here's what I've prayed for this moment right now. That some of you that are on the edge would have the faith to make that step. To take the lens of the world off of your eyes and to allow it to be replaced by the lens of God. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we sing, God, I pray for my friends here, God, that are on the brink. Lord, they are in a war. Lord, they are battling. Lord, they sense it, they feel it, they know it. And God, they are on the brink of either going one direction or the other. Because Jesus, you said it, we cannot serve two masters. And so we're on the way one direction or the other. And God, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, do your work. You are here to break chains. You are here to bring freedom. You are here to take temptations that have been in us and through us for years and break them in the name of Jesus. Because God, that's what you do. You break stuff that has bound us, Lord God. Holy Spirit, we pray, God, that you would fill us.